Good morning. morning. I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right. In the early 20th century, there was a race to see who would be the first to achieve powered flight, the first to have an airplane that would fly. Well, Samuel Pierpont Langley was given a chest of money by the War Department to figure out this whole flying machine out. He was brilliant. He was a Harvard graduate. He worked at the Smithsonian Institute. He was extremely well-connected. He hired the best minds. New York Times followed him everywhere and reported on his progress. Everyone was rooting for him. But my guess is most of us have probably never heard of Samuel Pierpont Langley. A few hundred miles away in Dayton, Ohio, Orville and Wilbur Wright were working on the same problem. Honestly, they had none of Langley's recipe for success. Not a single person on the Wright brothers' team had a college education, not even Orville or Wilbur. They had no funding. They used the proceeds from their bike school shop that they ran to fund their mission. And the New York Times ignored them. But they were driven by a cause, by a purpose, by a belief. They believed that if they could figure out this whole flying machine thing out, that it had the potential to change the world. It would change the course of human history. Samuel Pierpont Langley was different. He wanted to be rich and famous. And every time the Wright brothers would go out trying to figure out this whole flying machine, they'd take five sets of parts because that's how many times they would crash before they came in for supper. And then eventually, on December 17th of 1903, their airplane took flight. And no one was there to experience it. What they achieved didn't make the front page news of the New York Times. In fact, the New York Times didn't even write about it for three more years. They changed the world, and no one noticed. People didn't think it was a big deal at the time. Here's what I know, is that the choices that you and I make today, they may go unnoticed by the rest of the world. But what you are doing matters. You are doing something huge I believe that you're not here by accident. I believe that God has brought you here to this place and that God wants to speak to you today. The choices that you and I make to invest in our spouses, to invest in our marriages, to invest in your kids, to be a part of something bigger than yourself, to help build and establish this new church that's turning three next week. The choices you make today may go unnoticed by the rest of the world, but they have the power the potential to change the course of your history, of your family's history, of your community's history. See, Samuel Pierpont Langley quit after the Wright brothers achieved flight first. Now, he could have taken their invention and improved on it and made things better for mankind, but he wanted to be rich, he wanted to be famous, he wanted to be first, and so he quit. The Wright brothers succeeded because they lived for a purpose bigger than themselves. My question for you today is, what are you building your life on? What choices are you making today that maybe the rest of the world is paying no attention to, but has the potential to change the world? What choices do you need to change in your life to invest more in your spouse, in your kids, 
I believe God wants us to examine our lives and say, God, what choices am I making today that the rest of the world might be ignoring, but is going to pay off down the road? We've been studying the book of Acts for the last couple weeks, and we said we're not going to study it as scholars just to know what happened, but we're studying Acts as soldiers to see what remains to be done in the mission that God has given us. And Acts shows the explosion that began after the resurrection of Jesus, that those 120 followers of Jesus that met in the upper room, they didn't just maintain, but they multiplied. And they added to their number on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people, and then 2,000 people. And the Bible says that daily they were adding people to their numbers. By the time we pick up the story now in Acts chapter 5, which is where we find ourselves, that we're going to see persecution and opposition coming up against the church. Because what I've learned is that the devil don't mind when we just maintain. He starts to mind when we start to multiply, okay? When we just maintain the status quo, we're just content with things just cruising on by, our enemy says, that's just fine. But when we start to push back the works of the enemy, when we push back the gates of hell, that's when we're starting to get in his business. And that's when he then counterattacks. And so what we see in the early church is they weren't content just to stay in the upper room, the 120 of them, but they said, we are going to multiply. We are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for what God is doing. And we're going to see now that there is a counterattack. See, for every action, there is a reaction. For every convert, a critic who wants to point out all the things that could be better. Today, we're going to look at what the true spirit-empowered life and ministry looks like. For the last several weeks, we've learned that the Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit fills us up and empowers us for ministry. The Holy Spirit empowers us to have an unstoppable partnership. The Holy Spirit empowers us to have irrational generosity. Today, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be bringers of hope and healing to our community. Before we dive into Acts chapter 5, would you join me in a word of prayer? God, I thank you. I thank you for Dr. Luke, who wrote down these words uh, so we know uh, what the early church did and how they were empowered by your spirit. God, I thank you for Theophilus, who funded the mission of Luke. God, I thank you for the early church leaders who were filled by you and then stepped into the mission that you gave them. God, I pray that here today we'd be connected to that early church, God, that we would look to them as our example, that we would look to, to learn from them, and God, that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit in the same way that they were filled, so that, God, we could be your ambassadors, we could be your witnesses to this world who so desperately need your hope and your healing. I pray, God, that this morning everyone who comes in here would leave with something from you. God, that you would encourage, that you would convict you would heal, you would restore. Thank you, God. In your name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Otherwise, the scripture will be here on the side screen. You can open your Bible up if you want. Uh, we're going to start in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. 
the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Man, what an amazing picture of the early church, empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to point out four things here that's going on, and I believe these are marks of a Holy Spirit-empowered church. Number one, people are being loved. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to encourage you to write that down. Number one, that people are being loved in this early church community. Outcasts, those who are sick, those who are demonized, those who are out of their mind, both men and women, which were considered second-class citizens at this time. They are being included. They are given value. They are being worth. They're all being loved and welcomed and embraced and brought into community. This is a picture of what a Holy Spirit-empowered community, a Holy Spirit church looks like. Amen? This is what we want Mosaic to look like. Amen? That everyone feels loved. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you, that you are loved. If you've been following the news cycle at all, it's quite possible that something has triggered inside you this week. As they've gotten the Supreme Court uh, confirmation hearings, stuff has come up, and I know many friends who have been victims of abuse, of assault, and this week, having to relive it. I want you to know that Mosaic is a safe place. And whatever's been done to you, that you are welcomed here. You don't need to hold on to any shame, any guilt. And if you've stuffed it and it still haunts you, you can find healing. Statistics say that one in three women have been the victim of some kind of assault and one in six men. So the reality is there's probably many in this room who experience that. And we want you to know you are loved. You're so loved by God. You're also so loved by us here at Mosaic. We are so glad that you are here. Whatever's happened in your past, you don't have to feel guilt or shame about it. That Jesus offers grace and forgiveness and healing. Number two, we see that people are being saved. People far from God are being found by Jesus. Non-Christians are becoming Christians. People are finding grace and mercy and bowing the knee to Jesus. We exist as a church for God's glory and God's mission. God's mission is seeking and saving the lost. And nothing makes us more excited than when someone makes the decision to follow Jesus. Nothing makes us more excited than when we gather together and someone says, I'm going to go public with my faith in Jesus through the act of baptism, which is an outward expression of that inward decision to follow Jesus Because lost people being found brings honor and glory to God. That's why we are here, for God's glory and God's mission. Number three, people are being healed. Here at Mosaic, we believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has healed, he will heal, and he is healing. Amen? We believe that when the kingdom of God comes in full, and when heaven comes to earth, there'll be no more sickness anymore. That one day God will do with all sickness and death. Man, won't that be a great day? But we believe that sickness has entered the world because of sin. And occasionally the kingdom of God breaks through and healing comes to reveal Jesus as our great physician. And so we pray for people. We lay hands and say, God, we believe that you can heal miraculously. God doesn't always heal this side of heaven. 
but we pray for it boldly. We say, God, we're gonna pray bold prayers. We're gonna trust that, that you have good plans for us. And if you don't answer those prayers the way we think they are, we still trust you that you are sovereign, you are divine, but we're gonna ask in faith for healing. And I believe today if you are here and you are struggling with something physical, mentally, emotional, you can find healing. We are not just gathered together to sing some songs, to hear some good words of life on how we can improve things, but we are here to encounter the living God, amen? And this God, he wants to heal whatever has done in your past, whatever currently is going on in your body, in your mind, in your soul, that God heals. And I want to encourage you, if you need healing to find me, one of our elders, one of our pastors, we would love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for healing for you. Number four, we see that people are being delivered. People are being delivered. People are coming to the early church who are afflicted by unclean demonic spirits. Our our culture tends to not believe so much in the supernatural, but the Bible declares this. There isn't just God, but there is Satan who along with his fallen angels are in rebellion against God. Now Satan is not equal to God. He's equal to the angels created by God. But what happened was there was a great war in the presence of God where Satan and his fallen angels, who are now demons, rebelled against God. So they didn't want to glorify God. Instead, they wanted God's glory. They didn't want to submit to God's authority. Instead, they wanted to have God's authority. As a result, they were cast down and are now fallen angels and have been at work in the world ever since, beginning with our first parents in Adam and Eve, sowing chaos and sickness and death. But the kingdom of God comes in to push back the works of the enemy. We believe in a great big God and an itty-bitty devil. And the devil has no authority here because of what Jesus has done. Amen? And so in the early church, we see in Acts 5 that people were coming who were oppressed, who were possessed by the devil, by demons, and they're being freed from oppression and possession. And God is being glorified, and the mission is advancing. And people are being freed from from bondage. We believe in the supernatural. We believe that maybe God needs to deliver you from something. The work of the enemy that is is holding you back, that, that is causing you affliction in your life. Perhaps you need someone to pray for you and pray for deliverance. I'd love to talk to you more about that after service. Now, people are being loved. People are being saved. People are being healed. People are being delivered. Who could possibly be against that, right? Well, whenever we see that whenever God is moving, there are people who are going to be critical. And very quickly, the opposition becomes, because for every action, there is a reaction. For every healing, there is a hatred. For every deliverance, there is a debate. For every conversion, there is a criticism. That's the price of ministry. So the early church is serving people and preaching Jesus, and they get arrested again. We saw that last week. But this time they get thrown into prison. Verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the part of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. So the apostles, they get arrested again. Last week they got arrested, but let go. But this time they get sent to prison. But God sends an angel to get them out. Angels are messengers and ministers. In addition to unclean demonic spirits, there are clean spirits called angels. 
Now, this had to be a great day for this angel. Here, here's how I kind of picture it. You, you have Ninja Angel, I like to call him, and he's sitting on the bench. And Ninja Angel has been practicing his lockpicking skills, all right? And so up in heaven, they're like, report. The early Christians, they're locked up in prison. What are we going to do? Send down Ninja Angel. And he's like, yes, finally, I get to use my lockpicking skills. And so God sends Ninja Angel down to get the apostles out of prison. Here's the point, is that God doesn't have to get you out of every situation, but God can get you out of any any situation. We're going to see later that all the apostles, except for John, give their lives in service to Jesus and his mission, and they die for the cause. Sometimes God will send a ninja angel to get you out of a situation, and sometimes we pay the price. God can get you out of any situation, but he doesn't have to. We just have to trust him and say, your plan is perfect, even if we don't understand it. Verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, do you get this? So angel comes, gets them out of prison, and then he says, all right, go back to the temple and start preaching about Jesus. Now, if I'm one of those apostles, I'm like, Wait, what? This is like sticking your finger in the socket and getting electrocuted and being told, we'll do it again. Like, preaching Jesus is what got us in prison. You just got us miraculously out of prison, and now you want us to go back to the temple and preach Jesus? Verse 21, and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. They got up early, headed to the temple, and began to teach people about Jesus. It's like, all right, it's early. You know, uh, don't want to get late. Don't want to be late for being arrested again. <laughs> like, I love the attitude of, of this early church. Now, what happens next is, is pretty funny. And uh, you, there's parts of the Bible that are funny. We just don't really get it a lot of times. Uh, but this part is funny. Verse 21. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. I imagine you're this guy, and your one job is to go get the apostles and bring them out of prison. And you go to the prison, and you're like, uh, they're all gone. They're, they've disappeared, right? Verse 22, but when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison security, securely locked, and the guards stand at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. So you got a picture. Religious guys, long beards, funny hats, robes. They're sitting around. They're very serious. And they're like, what do you mean they're gone? You went down to the temple, or you went down to the prison. Yep. They're stroking their beards, and the doors are locked. Yep. And the guards are there. Yep. But they weren't inside. Nope. <laughs> like, they're just like, what? Where did they go? Verse 25, and then someone came in and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought the men, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. All right, now this kind of stoning is legal here. I used to live in Colorado. That's a different kind of stoned, all right? That's not what they're talking about here. Just make sure you're awake. This stoning is you'd pick up rocks and you'd surround someone as a mob and you would throw rocks and you would hurt people. So the religious leaders are like, okay, these followers of Jesus, they're loving people, they're serving people, they're healing people, delivering people, and everyone really likes them. We like to arrest them, but we don't want to get hurt, so let's do this a little bit more on the down low. 
Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. He can't even say the name of Jesus. We charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What name? The name of Jesus that is above every name. They can't even say his name. Because his is the name that's worthy of all glory. His is the name that is so beautiful. What a beautiful name it is. And so the early church leaders, they get in trouble because they keep talking about Jesus. Man, that's what I'm talking about. If someone's going to accuse us of something, may it be that they have filled your city with the teaching of Jesus. Church, let's fill our cities with the good news of Christ. Let's fill the places of poverty with our generosity. Let's fill our schools with students who are not ashamed of the gospel. The future of our cities is empty and desolate without the power and the presence of God. So let's keep preaching. Let's keep reaching and giving until our cities overflow and can't deny that you have filled our cities with Jesus. Amen? Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered. I love this. Peter's like, all right. So he gets arrested. He he preaches. He gets arrested. Let's go. He preaches. He gets arrested, thrown in prison. Angel lets him out. So now... He's standing in front of the Senate and the leaders. He's like, let me get this straight. I'm not supposed to preach about Jesus. They're like, yeah. He's like, all right. Well, I've got a sermon for you, and I don't think you're going to like what it's about. And he starts to preach a sermon to these religious leaders about Jesus. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter says, we are witnesses. Remember back, chapter 1 of Acts, Jesus tells his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Peter is now a witness for Jesus. How did this happen? How did cowardly Peter become a witness for Jesus? He got filled with the Holy Spirit. He used to be a coward and now he's courageous. Something has changed in Peter. He received the Holy Spirit and he has the power to be a witness for Jesus. Preach arrested, jailbreak by an angel, preach, arrested again, preach again. What's the point? Keep talking about Jesus. Even when things get hard, keep talking, keep preaching about Jesus because at his name, healing happens. People are saved. People are loved. People are delivered. People are healed. The early church decided, you know what? Jesus paid the greatest price for us, so we'll pay any price for him. Better than living a life of comfort and ease is a life spent helping people know that they are loved, helping people get saved, helping people find healing, helping people get deliverance. That's why they were there as a first church, and that's why we exist as a church. Amen? 
I'm going to invite the band to come on up. Verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas, I don't know how to say his name, rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were beaten and left the council what? Rejoicing. I didn't see that coming. They beat them, and then their early church throws a party. They're beaten, they're bloody, they're bruised, and they get out cake and their hats, and they put the whole party in Instagram. And people are like, why are you missing teeth? Like, because we got to suffer for Jesus. What a great day. And every day in the temple, And from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Every day. They didn't even take a day off after getting beaten. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they teach about Jesus. Large group gathering, they teach about Jesus. And home to home in their small groups, they teach about Jesus. Because it's all about Jesus. Because Jesus changes everything. Jesus loves. Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Jesus delivers. Here's the big idea, Mosaic, is that Jesus took a beating for you. And sometimes you and I have to take a beating for him. There'll be some sort of cost to following Christ. Are you willing to stand and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. See, I think so many Christians are ill-equipped to face the world and what it means to follow Jesus because they've only been told God loves you and wants to bless your family, your friends, your finances, your career, and your marriage. And they're not told not everyone is going to like you. When you start talking about Jesus, not everyone's going to bless you that you might get treated like Jesus got treated. But what a great joy, what great glory, what great honor, what a great privilege to be counted worthy of being suffered, of suffering because of Jesus. You and I are going to live our lives for some cause, some reason, some purpose. Make it for the name of Jesus so that people can be loved so that people can be saved, that people can be healed, that people can be delivered. Verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Imagine if that's what they could say about Maple Grove. 
You have filled Maple Grove with the work and the teaching of Jesus. You have filled Elk River with the teaching and the name of Jesus. You have filled Dayton, Rogers, Corcoran, Brooklyn Park with the name and the teaching of Jesus. That people can't deny it. You have filled the city with that name that is above every other name. Let's fill our cities with the good news of Jesus. Let's keep preaching. Let's keep reaching and giving until our cities overflow. And they can't deny. You filled this city with Jesus. We're going to do a reprise. And we're going to sing a worship song that we sang earlier. That Christ is enough. And I want us, when we stand and sing this song, to truly think about it and to say, yes, Christ is enough for me. And I have decided that although things may be hard, although it's tough and we're struggling, I've decided to follow Jesus, the cross before me, the world behind. If we live our lives for purpose and meaning, what we do now will matter. The little things you're doing now by investing in your kids, in your marriage, into your ministry, it may not seem like a lot, but God will do great things that no one's going to see. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing this song together, and then I'm going to come back and we'll wrap up. I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to lead us through the song. God, I thank you that you are enough. And God, I want to pray right now specifically for those who have walked in with a heavy heart and a heavy burden. God, that they would be able to release that over to you, that you could receive healing and hope and deliverance from you. God, I pray for those who don't know you. God, that they would take this moment to bow the knee to you, that you would be their savior and their leader. God, I pray that as a church, we would fill our cities with news of Jesus so that people could be loved, people could be saved, people could be healed, and people could be delivered. God, I pray right now that everyone in this room that your Holy Spirit would begin to work as we sing this song. God, that if healing needs to happen in their hearts, in their minds, in their bodies, God, that your Holy Spirit would work right now. God, if people need to let something go, they would do that right now. God, we're here. We don't want to leave the same way we came in. So God, we pray that you would change us. You would renew us. God, help us to take a moment to just pause, to sing these words allow you to change our hearts and our minds. Amen.